0: Holly G. with the Golf Insiders for this edition of For Your Game. It is my pleasure to have a very special guest today. He is a professor of psychiatry at Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, founder of Dr. Rich Golf, and author of a fantastic new book, Better Golf better life. And it's just my pleasure to have on the show today, Dr. Richard Goldberg. Good morning, Dr. Rich.
1: Hello, Holly. Great to be here.
0: So great to have you here. And what a great conversation as we are in the midst of the first major of the PGA Tour season, the Masters. I can't think of a... More mentally challenging, pressure packed championship than the Masters. And lots of questions to ask you about this morning. So let me ask you, what led you to writing Better Golf, Better Life?
1: Well, I've been a golfer my whole life. I started in high school, so it's always been with me. And I would say about 15 years ago, I was playing in a. A lot of charity tournaments, and it kind of was the same foursome because we were doing real well together. And we all loved Caddyshack. And I think some of your listeners, I hope, relate to that movie.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, and especially the Dalai Lama being a big hitter impressed us. So we kind of joked around and started what we called the DLGA, the Dalai Lama Golf Association. It was sort of a joke we had among ourselves. And then I kind of realized, you know, there's more to it than this. There's something here about uh, the inner world of golf that I understood and related to and thought I could help people with because of my background. So I kind of transformed this joke about the Dalai Lama Golf Association into a more serious undertaking called Dr. Rich Golf. What I brought to it was, I think, three things. One is my background as a psychiatrist and understanding kind of the inner workings of people. And the second of the three things is I have a background as a um, an endurance athlete. I competed in marathon and triathlon, and through that, Learned a lot about performance psychology, which is so important in any sport, especially in golf. Golfers talk about visualizing the future they want, for example. Well, in an Ironman triathlon, it took me two years to learn how to visualize crossing the finish line. So I, you know, I've kind of transformed that into the the visual future that people need to have to be successful in golf. And the third thing I brought is 50 years of practicing mindfulness meditation. So I kind of fused those three parts of my background of performance psychology, psychiatry, and meditation into Dr. Rich Golf.
0: We we just, we focus so much today, Dr. Rich, especially the professionals, right, on the statistics. And the equipment and the physical side of the game, it was interesting to note uh, a comment that Rory said in his press conference where somebody was asking him about, well, you know, it would seem that Augusta National suits your game." And we often hear that, but yet he responded, "Well, there are many players that whose game Augusta National suited that never won a green jacket. And that tells me, especially as we know on Sunday, when you hit Amen Corner and number 12 specifically, it isn't about pulling the right club, Dr. Rich. It's about being in the right headspace, especially if you're tied for the lead. Yeah, well,
1: I... All of these problems that are faced at that level People, your listeners And we as golfers face them too So A lot of things I do with my One of the things I do with a lot of my students Is uh, When we're going to go out and have a a session together I say if you were playing a match today What hole would you not want to start on? And everybody has one They say oh The 12th hole Don't let me start there and uh, so I said, well, let's go out there. So we go out to the 12th hole and uh, say, okay, play away. And they'll get ready to tee it up and start going through the motions. I'll say, no, wait a minute. Come on over here. Let's talk about what's going on. There is a lot going on in their head. You know, as you say, going into Amen Corner and having that shot that they need to make on Sunday, It's that's not. Of course, the stakes are so much higher, and they're playing at such an elite level. But the everyday golfer has that, too. When they're facing one of these holes, they hate playing. And there's a reason why, and it's what what's going on in their head. And if they're ever going to solve that, they're going to need to learn what they're thinking about and to change that kind of thinking. And that's part of what Dr. Rich Golf is about. And it actually can be done. I mean, it's most of these people I work with are able to, in a couple of sessions, and I write about this in the book, uh, become aware of things that, that are really affecting their golf swing on that 12th tee.
0: Talk to me a little bit about, you've, you know, you've worked with uh, a variety of golfers of all levels over your, your 10 years right. uh, with Dr. Rich Golf. And, and I'm curious because not only, as you said, you've played with lots of golfers. You've helped, uh, you know, the, the best amateur golfers go to the next level. What is it that most golfers struggle with from what you've experienced?
1: There's a wide range. Maybe I can tell you some of the, you know, some of the chief complaints that people have, they've brought to me. And some of these are, one of them is I lose my concentration too often.
0: Mm.
1: You know, how many people do you play with, and you see them hit a poor shot, and kind of say, "Well, what happened there?" said I lost my concentration. But they don't really go much further in that. They don't really figure out well, what does that mean that I lost my concentration, and what would it take me? What what do I have to work on? What skills do I have to learn so that happens less often? So that's really a common problem, and and at, even at the elite level the difference between, you know, losing your concentration four times around more than your competitor, well, it's 16 shots over a four-day event.
0: Yeah, that's, a, your, that's, that's a great point, and, you know, but speaking specifically for amateurs, you know, we we live in this nanosecond world now, Dr. Rich, where we're just getting bombarded with so you know, so so much, so many thoughts, messages, uh, you know, electronics, you name it. It's very hard to keep our mind quiet, uh, especially on the golf course.
1: Well, I, I can't resist. Uh, maybe we're, we're jumping ahead, but you're you're prompting it. People have got a. Do you remember what Phil Mickelson talked about after he won the PGA, the last PGA victory? It was a really interesting post-victory interview where, you know, I can only paraphrase. I'm not going to quote it exactly. He said something like, well, I don't want to get all spiritual or anything. But he talked about the importance of uh, his meditation practice in the morning. And he said, I, am, I have so many things uh, competing for my attention. I got sponsors and I got, you know, manufacturers and I got uh, interviews on media interviews. I've got financial issues I'm dealing with. He says all that it needs to I need to find a way to center myself to get into a place where I can concentrate and focus on my game. And until I learn to meditate, in his words, I don't know exactly what he means by it, I was not getting there. And I he credited his victory to that practice that he undertook, you know, not the morning before, obviously you know, quite a bit of time before, months, not years before. And that's something when you just said golfers are, their head is all over the place. Is it any surprise that they're going to lose their concentration a lot? Not at all. So I didn't, uh, I, as a person who's practiced and studied meditation for 50 years, I didn't start out Dr. Rich Golf and say to myself, oh, I'm going to teach people how to meditate. But what happened is it kind of got forced into the agenda because the problems that so many people were having was this lack of focus and lack of meditation, lack of an ability to calm themselves and and center their mind on the task that's right in front of them, you know, their pre-shot routine. So I said, we need to back up a little here and teach you some basic skills. This is a life skill, and that's partly why I call it Better Golf, Better Life. But, you know, you learn to meditate and focus and calm your mind to play better golf. That's nice, but guess what? It also helps your life.
0: Well, I think meditation, for a lot of people, although I think it's becoming much more mainstream and not so mystical, if you will, or, you know, Mm -hmm. How do I, you know, how do I do that? You don't have to go to the mountaintop. You can do right. it walking your dog. You can, you know, do it just sitting in a chair for five minutes. I know uh, I have put that practice in place as well. And, but there, there are other ways, and you hear golfers talk about some of the things they, they use to help them stay in the present moment such as breathing, Dr. Rich, and slowing down their walking. These are ways that golfers do it in the moment on the course.
1: Yeah, breathing was another fundamental skill that, you know, I write about in the book. But let me back up a second. Meditation doesn't have to be a an obscure, mystical event that's confusing to people. So what I tried to do in the book was simplify it, demystify it, uh, you know, remove it from any particular, you know, religious contexts. It, it's really a skill that everybody should have to help make their life more balanced. So then you're talking about breathing. You know, this was also another skill that I didn't start out with, Dr. Rich Golf saying, I'm going to teach people how to breathe. But I noticed that so many people were having problems in that. Uh, Area. Now, watch any good athlete. uh, They know how to breathe. And one of the quotes I have in the book is Tom Watson said, When I learn to breathe, I learn to win. Wow. Love that. Pretty pretty impressive. So, you know, watch a, a basketball player at the free throw line, how they take a deep breath, exhale, and to calm their body and go ahead and shoot the shot. But people in golf, you pointed out, Great golfers have learned to master their breathing, to calm their nerves, to calm their autonomic nervous system, to be able to perform better. But it, it doesn't some people are naturals. Let's face it, there's prodigies and everything. But most of us mortals have to learn how to do it. So I teach people about and you know, write about this in the book, the fundamentals of breathing that are gonna help your golf game. I hate giving people golf tips, actually, because I'm I'm more into helping people develop skills that are going to have some enduring value. But there's always somebody who walks up to me at my club and says, "Oh, Dr. Rich, I'm going out to play a match today that I really need to win. So, uh, I, I you know, you're I know you're into this mental golf thing. So, give me a quick, give me a tip that's going to help me win the match today.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no pressure.
1: Right, as if we're going to, like, change their life with a golf tip. But if I, you know, I don't want to disappoint them. So I say, well, if I can tell you one thing, uh, Doug, when you get up in the first tee, take a deep breath, exhale completely, and lose the tension in your body. So, you know, just take a breath. And as you pointed, you know, slow yourself down. I think it's a great story about how, you know, Ben Hogan was one of the greatest at this and and talked about the importance of slowing down. And the apocryphal tale may be true, is that he did everything in almost slow motion before matches. When he had breakfast, he would take the fork and just move it slowly up to his mouth because he knew how important it was to get himself slowed down for what lay ahead. And people, there are people whose nervous system is jazzed up, who are just quick people, quick brains, and maybe that's not going to work for them.
0: Type A right here. Hello.
1: <laughs> but most of us and most people are going to benefit by slowing down. And I can tell you, you hear know, another anecdote about that? Absolutely. Uh, where I learned about this, and where it changed my life was at St. Andrews. So I was fortunate enough some years ago to play St. Andrews, and I teed off, and I had a great a caddy who would probably been caddying at St. Andrews for 45 years. And I started off, you know, I was playing pretty well. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, okay, nice. I'm out here and playing a nice round of golf, and then I get to a particular hole, and I'm in a bunker, and I hit it across the green to another bunker on the other side of the green. All right, go across the green and I hit it back across the green again into the bunker I started in. And then I hit that shot back across the green into the other bunker. And now I'm almost running <laughs> right. to get across because I wanna get out of there. I don't wanna be there anymore. I gotta just get this over with and somehow get it on the green putt out and leave. And the kid, I won't try to tell you his, what his brogue was like. So this caddy says to me in a very thick Scottish brogue something like, laddie, when things are going the wrong way in your game, you've got to slow yourself down. <laughs> and there was something about that moment that just clicked with me that I have applied in my life and in my game ever since then.
0: I often chuckle at a, a fellow... Uh playing companion who will arrive, you know, racing into the parking lot five minutes before the tea time, throw the shoes on, grab a cup of coffee, down a donut, and then wonder why he triples the first hole, Dr. Rich.
1: Right. (laughs) Yeah, because it starts when you get up. It actually starts before you get up. But you know what keeps people going and keeping... And they keep doing that anyway, is that every once in a while, they rush out of the car, they wolf down a donut, they throw some coffee down, they rush out to the first tee, and they stripe one right down the middle, you know, 260 yards. And they turn to their friends and say, well, so much for practice.
0: (laughs) It's a crazy,
1: crazy Because it happens, it does happen once in a while, Mm -hmm. and people latch on to that and think, well, then I don't have to do all these other things. But sure, I mean. Things do happen like that, but if you want to have that happen more consistently, more often, a higher percentage of time, it's going to come with preparation.
0: Well, speaking of preparation, uh, there's been a lot of talk this week and a lot of focus, of course, on Rory McIlroy as he is attempting to complete the Grand Slam, has eluded him, uh, for... Nine years, and clearly what Rory has really taken time and focus on is the mental side and it was interesting to hear in his press conference that he talked about a you know a well-known mental uh, sports psychologist in the field, dr. Bob Rotella, and that he's been working with him for a couple of years now. And as we all know, you know, definitely some scar tissue for Rory after what happened to him on that 10th tee uh when he was leaving and had the first chance to, chance to complete the grand slam. So, you know, there's been lots of conversation about the ghosts that linger at Augusta for Rory.
1: Yeah, well, Absolutely. And it, and it is for us, too, in so many situations. Like, you know, you talked about the ghosts, but being able to control the mental thoughts. And how many interviews you know, do you hear? I listen to a lot of them with, about the, with the masters coming up. And a lot of people say things like, oh, I just, I don't want to make this so special. You know, I know it is on one level, but I want to come out here and just have this be another day of golf because i got a great game, my game is in a great place, and if I can just make this another day of golf and enjoy myself, things are going to be great, you know, work out well. You know, we hear that a lot, and we know as, you know, at our level, you know, we're not at that elite level, uh, how we start to construct these stories that make everything so hard. You know, I'm, I'm sure it's happened to you. You're on the 17th hole and you're about to either close out a match or have one of your best scores and as soon as somebody on the 17th hole tells me, oh, Dr. Rich, all I need to do is have two more pars and I shoot my best all-time score. I know they're done. It's never going to happen because they've created that storyline that is now Has gotten them out of the present.
0: Or you just have those five birdies in a row, and your mind is speeding up like this is going to be the day.
1: This is going to be the round. I have one of my students who he birdies the first hole, and now I almost can joke with him. I say, So, Dan, what are you thinking? Because I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, What's the course record here? Because he birdies the first hole. Right. And then inevitably, he hits his hook shot into the trees on the second hole. Oh. And that and that's because his he's, he's gotten himself, he's created this mental story that he's gotten lost in about shooting this record score because he birdied one hole. So we all know that mental, what does it mean to have the mental strength to not do that, to stay in the moment, or to have a shot where... You've hit it five times in previous matches out of bounds to the right on this 13th hole, and now here you are in another match, and you're teeing it up there. You know, how do you develop the the mental abilities to be in the moment and just hit a shot that you've hit a 1,000 times? Well, it doesn't happen because you say uh, by the willpower of the moment. It happens by developing some of the skills I talk about in the book and making a commitment to that kind of self-growth and self-awareness. And the great athletes have done this. You know, that's their job, part of their job.
0: In the press conference with Rory, he was talking about uh, when he's working with Brad Faxon on his putting. What he said was, Bob Ritello tells me all the time, when you were six years old, did you read a putt? you were probably putting on instinct. I think we've seen this at times with Rory, with Jordan, who have a very carefree, I think, personality and way they approach the game because of their love of the game. And that at times when, you know, they've gone down a road of just getting too intense, it has worked against them.
1: Yeah, in general, you know, I see a lot of people who have gotten too intense. I mean, I... I just had a a client who came to me about eight months ago who said, uh, you know, I used to break 80, and then I thought I really had a chance to get good at this game. So I started taking more lessons, and I started focusing myself on all these technical things that were going to get me to the next level, and I can't break 100 anymore. So that's an an extreme case of of how to get that person back to the sort of natural, instinctive abilities that he had. And so, you know, as a golf teacher, there's all kinds of tricks you do. I mean, I've had people who have been, who've gotten way too focused on technique and putting. And so, you know, what I'll do with them is I'll have them, you know, with their back to the hole. And I say, just turn around, take a look and putt. Because how many times have you been in your home office where you've crumpled up a piece of paper and casually tossed it over your shoulder and it goes right into the wastebasket?
0: You know? Love it. Because
1: you have these instincts, if you can get to them. Some people need some people. You know, this is. It it, there's a little bit of in a lot of individualizing it here because different people need different things at different times. Uh, Some people need to focus more on technique at times. Other people need to, you know, stop doing that at times. Uh,
0: You mentioned intensity, and I can't think of any. Tee shot where you would get the first tee jitters more so than the first tee at Augusta National, Dr. Rich. And uh, Justin Thomas was asked this question on Tuesday. You know, can you describe your feelings and intensity on the first tee and how they might change throughout the week? And it was very interesting how he answered it. He said, the first tee, at least to me, is more nerve-wracking than any first tee shot bearing a team event or Ryder Cup or President's Cup?
1: So I see a lot of clients with what you call first tee jitters. You know, a lot of people get nervous on the first tee. They're not on the first tee of the Masters. But try.
0: they're playing a round of golf with their boss.
1: Right. But try having a tee off on first tee when, you know, some courses it's right next to the clubhouse. There's people out having coffee and eating and watching a tee off in the first tee. That makes it a little harder. But I, I usually can get people over the first tee jitters in, like, one or two sessions. So what's the secret? I mean, the secret is to learn how to focus on the present. So focusing on the present means most people should have a pre-shot routine if they don't have one. So they should be on the first tee, and their pre-shot routine, which should be designed and owned by them, might be, you know, picking out a target, breathing in a certain way, checking one thing in their posture, you know, there's a lot of ingredients that could go into it. But whatever it is, they have to immerse themselves 100% in their pre-shot routine. And when they do, guess what happens? Everything else evaporates. All those concerns about people watching me, what are people going to think, what's the storyline behind here, all that goes away when people get immersed in their pre-shot routine. So, And that comes back to learning to concentrate and focus. So one of my clients just wrote me about how, Dr. Rich, I know you had talked to me about my pre-shot routine and and immersing myself in it. Well, I've had one for like 12 years, but I never realized that it had become so automatic. I was no longer really paying attention to it and immersing myself in it.
0: Mm, Great point.
1: It became sort of habituated to it, was sort of going through the motions, but was no longer really paying attention to every aspect of it. You know, I had the, I don't know what was going on in her head, but I had the good fortune to follow Annika Sorenstam for 18 holes of golf one time. And the thing I noticed, and you don't see this on TV because the cameras move, Shot to shot. All over the place. Yeah. Shot to shot. So many players, you never see the consistency. Her pre-shot routine was identical every single time for 18 holes. Every time was immersed in exactly the same pre-shot routine. The timing, the, the physical motions, the mental, I, I believe, the mental immersion. I can mean, I only tell from the outside. And a lot of people who are aspiring to be, you know, they're club players, but they're aspiring to be better golfers, aren't doing that. And we, I talk with them about why they're not doing it. And, well, you know, some of them don't believe it's going to help them, and we go into that. Some of them don't want to stand out and have people say, you know, what are you doing? Let's, let's play golf. Uh, but there's ways to go through a pre-shot routine that are, it don't make you stand out. You've got to do it quietly. You've got to do it, you've got to be prepared and ready to hit and not slow down the force. And It's possible to do all those things, but it's got to be a very a commitment to this uh, private routine that you're doing to focus yourself, and it triggers the brain. I mean, we haven't talked at all about the neuroscience of this, but, you know, the golf swing is a very highly orchestrated Event that's going on in the brain. The complexity of it is overwhelming.
0: In seconds, Somehow, in seconds, yeah, Doctor, in Rich. A
1: second, right? That we need to trigger that orchestrated movement, and among other things, the the right the pre-shot routine is basically sending a message to your brain that says, "Get ready. Now is the time to produce that beautiful orchestrated neuro." neuroscience event that's going to happen right now
0: want to cover one more topic as this weekend there's going to be something else in the mix at augusta and that's the weather the elements yeah. are going to turn pretty nasty what you know what are your tips as far as you know because if you're if you're out in a club match and you know the weather turns sour gotta learn to deal with it or as you mentioned, you're on your dream trip to Scotland or Ireland.
1: Well, one of the things as a mental coach is I don't think we want to ever have a a divorce between the technical and the mental sides of the game. You know, all the things I write about are meant to complement people learning techno, techno skills, you know, getting the right club fitting, learning the right technique. But the third part of that is the mental part of it. So with playing bad weather, People have got to learn some technique. They've got to go out and practice in bad weather. It's not just going to happen. So there's a lot to organize if you're playing club matches in bad weather. You have the right clothes. You have the right gloves. you to keep dry most of the time. Keep your hands dry. Uh, so just learning some of the techniques and the taking advantage of the new RANG technology is an important thing. But the partner with that is the mental part, getting into the right frame of mind. If you have a negative frame of mind, like, uh, oh, this is terrible. I'm not going to be able to play well today. What a bad break. Uh, too bad we have to play today. The other guys didn't have to play like this. All of those negative thoughts are going to have a terrible effect in your golf game, as opposed to framing it in a different way. And, you know, you had mentioned Scotland, and because we've been talking and said, hey, if you went to Scotland in August and it was uh, 44 degrees with a strong breeze and some driving mist in your face, you look at your friends and say, "Hey, let's go! Isn't it great? Isn't it great being here? Let's go! This is Scotland. Let's enjoy the day." So sometimes you have to have that frame of mind uh, in in North Carolina or in Rhode Island or wherever you are. You can be sure that how whatever you're facing and trying to master the conditions that day, so is everybody else. And if you can have an edge because you're not as negatively affected, that's going to translate into some edge in your scoring and your ability to play better, a little better than other people that day. Well,
0: it was the great Bobby Jones who said, golf is played mainly on a five-and-a-half-inch course. The space between your ears, Dr. Rich. And you have done it in this fantastic book. I can't recommend it enough. You can do a couple of short chapters at a time. You provide these great anecdotes. And as you write beautifully in your introduction, your golf game will improve when you start to play golf to become a better person, not just a better golfer. I can't think of a a better gift you could you could give someone. If they want to get in touch with you, Dr. Rich. How do they do that?
1: DrRichgolf.com. It's pretty easy. There's links on the website. It's on Amazon, it's on Barnes and Noble as well. And I hope that I'll get to uh, meet some of your listeners again at some point in the future.
0: We'll have you back again. Uh, this is a topic that uh, I find uh, very fascinating and is 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 too much to cover in one podcast. But again, I recommend it. Better golf, better life. Dr. Rich Goldberg, thank you so much for spending some time with us today at the Golf Insiders.